the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Looking for strategies to help you protect your portfolio in these uncertain times? Visit RobBlack.com. RobBlack.com. Powered by EP Wealth. Credit card. Credit card rewards. Oh, I grew up in a household that... My dad wasn't financially savvy. Let's be honest. He had a great job. He had a great career. I'm going to backtrack a little bit. He had a great career with a great pension that set my mother up for 25 years in retirement without a job. So it wasn't as bad as I'm making it sound, but he didn't know anything about credit cards. He didn't know anything about 401ks. He knew about his military pension and he knew about income. He did a nice job saving on the side in large part because my father was in the military. The military gets a lot of perks and some of the perks are access to credit unions and the credit unions are amazing to the point that I think it's one of the best things my father ever left me because my father was in the military. I'm allowed to join USAA and my auto insurance is probably cheaper than yours. And my access to brokerage firms had lower costs than yours. Now that was in the eighties and nineties and that's the great equalizer has hit everyone there. But my dad didn't know squadoosh about things like credit cards. And I was taught credit cards are bad. I was taught mortgages are bad. And there's nothing further from the truth. Mortgages were a necessary evil. And I don't think they are. I think they're an amazing positive. They're a low cost access to money except for no, 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 no. Not right now. Well, actually, they kind of are. If you were to think about, can I go get $600,000, $700,000, live in a home that I certainly couldn't afford to buy in cash? Mortgages are amazing. Even now, if you're getting a 6% mortgage rate. But two, one year ago, almost one and a half, two years ago, I got a mortgage for two and a half percent. I may not be faster than you. I may not be smarter than you. But I've got a lower cost mortgage, and that's going to take me a little further in life than it does you. That's the stuff my father never taught me. He taught me how to be persistent. He did not teach me how to be savvy. Let's talk about credit card rewards. And I don't care if you're 25, 35, 45, 55. This is something everyone should take advantage of because it's there. Now, here's the thing that sucks, and I know it because I use my credit cards rewards to the limit the average person who's using a debit card gets screwed by the retailer because if they're giving me two to five percent off the next guy that comes in it probably they can't afford to give that to everybody that's that's the the assumption that i'm making and i could be slightly wrong but i don't think i am let's talk about credit card rewards now first and foremost credit cards are evil if you carry a balance if you're paying 18, 19% to buy groceries, if you're paying 18 to 19% to get gasoline uh, and you're to put it on your credit card, and you're not paying it off. No, 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 no. 
I will admit, I will raise my hand. I had some credit card problems in my early 20s during the, the starting my career phase. Keep in mind, I wanted to be I was a writer. I was a successful writer. I wrote on some TV projects that you know of some movie projects that you know of, but the, the money was inconsistent and that, that was a problem for me. And I would put things on credit cards and then I'd miss a payment. Uh, not good. No bueno, bad. So my credit rating was worse than yours. And in my early twenties, you are going to be further ahead than I, because I had a poor credit rating, but let's not go there right now. Let's talk about credit card rewards. First and foremost, there's been a lot of changes over the last few years that have brought more value to regular everyday spending. This is not my father's credit card world where there were no rewards. Reward cards aren't for everyone. I totally get it, especially as interest rates rise. And if you can't pay your monthly bills, don't do it. I don't carry a balance. Um, I pay no interest on any of my credit cards. And if I ever did, that's it. I'm pulling it. Stop over game done. Finished. No. But if you think about it, if I'm saving two to 5% on everything I buy and I put that in the stock market or put that in my 401k or put that into my vacations, I'm getting pretty far ahead. It's the little nickel and diming. I don't want to sound like Benjamin Franklin because he's a freak. <laughs> I know you said, how was Benjamin Franklin a freak? Have you ever seen his haircut? The dude had gray hair, uh, how shall we say, well past his shoulders, and a big old bald chrome dome. Now, I know you're saying, don't go there. He's a father of America. No, 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 no. I won't. So record, uh, reward cards aren't for everyone. I'm not going to say a penny saved is a penny earned, but 2 to 5% goes a long way. There's 13 plus categories that I've seen in credit cards. I don't use them all. I have one credit card that has a big annual fee. It's my travel card. It's Chase Sapphire uh, uh, Preferred. And that card to me is 3% off on all restaurants, 3% on air travel, 3% on hotels, 3% on Airbnbs. And the rewards add up to the point that I just went on a $10,000 vacation last year to Vegas with my family for New Year's Eve to see the Killers. Pretty awesome. Killers New Year's Eve in Vegas. Are you kidding me? Silly bazilli. All on credit card points. And I won $2,500 at the table. But that's a whole other story. I don't recommend that. I'm good at single hand blackjack. Single deck blackjack. Really good because I play by the rules. I don't gamble with alcohol. And I don't gamble for fun. I play by the rules if I gamble. And that goes with speeding and that goes with card games. So let's talk about some of the, the best cards that are out there. I just gave you my city preferred. It's 450, not city, I'm sorry, Chase Sapphire preferred. It's a $450 uh, card per year. And uh, if you're grandfathered in, it's 550 I think, now. That's a lot of money. But they give a lot of perks. They give $300 travel credit every year, so that automatically lowers it. Then they give you to a TSA security, and that automatically uh, pays for itself. So at that point in time, any of my travel goes on it, and I feel comfortable. Now, it's interesting because restaurants I used to put on at 3%, and then the Verizon card, which is the mobile carrier of mine, they give me 4% off restaurants. So in the last year, I'm like, nope, no more restaurants go on travel. 
I'll take that extra 1% from restaurants and grocery stores and gas stations. I still have a gas powered vehicle and I have an EV, but all my gas gets 4% off automatically. Now I know you could probably get like a shell card and get 5%, but I'm not loyal to one gas station. In fact, the cheaper gas I can get, I, I go for. I know you're like, um, there's probably a gas station that everyone's heard of that every city has one. And it usually is something like rotten mells or stinky, stinky feet gas. And you're like, why do they name it that? Well, because they don't do any marketing like Exxon or the other big gasoline stations shell. So they don't have to, they don't have to get top dollar for their gas. And it's all in California and every state that you live in, it's all, defined by the state legislature on what uh, formula can be used and what can't. So I don't think there's better gasoline than worse gasoline. I think that's a little bit of a myth. And I, you know what? I could be wrong on that one. And I'm okay with that. So I've told you one of my credit cards, Chase Sapphire, um, preferred. And then another one is the city double cash. And I've given you the Verizon. So the Verizon is groceries gas stations, restaurants. The travel card, Chase Sapphire, is tied towards hotels, airplanes, rental cars. That's about what I use it for. My next one is the city double cash. That gets me 2% back on all my spending. It technically gives you 1% when you buy, 1% when you sell. And in the last year, I've, I've gotten $6,500 back in that spending category. That's a big chunk of change. Now, I think my wife helped contribute with the swipe here, swipe there, swipe here, swipe there. No doubt about it. But get a 2% cash back on everything you buy, 1% when you buy, 1% when you pay. Rewards are tacked on as a city thank you. I don't use the points for anything other than cash because that's the, the biggest sweet pullback from the city uh, double cash. Um, I have a Best Buy card that gets me 5% off on everything I buy at Best Buy. I have an Amazon card that gets me 5% off everything I buy at Amazon. I have a Target Red card, which is a debit card, not a credit card. It's the only debit card I own. Anyone who owns a debit card, I laugh at you. I mock you. If I'm at a restaurant, I see you pull out a debit card. I'm like, poor dude, he's paying full price. And if his card gets stolen, they can totally clean out his bank account. Whereas a credit card, you're on the hook for fifty to a hundred dollars most. Now, I, I've seen some people dispute that, and there is some truth to it. Like, I've seen um, a credit card company really deny that a card was stolen because it was a physical card that was used at the scene of the purchase, and it wasn't reported stolen. But what it was ultimately was that a friend of mine had his new card stolen from the mail from a post office sorting center. They opened up the credit card. They used it. So it looked like a real physical new card. While his other card was still in his wallet that still hadn't quite expired yet. And it took a long time for him to clear that one up. So those are the credit cards I use. I have no problem with the Chase Freedom Unlimited Visa. Gets you 5% back on travel that you book through Chase Ultimate Rewards Portal. Plus 3% on restaurant and drugstore purchases. I have no problem if you want to find some of these. I think NerdWallet is awesome. 
NerdWallet is awesome. I think Bankrate is awesome. Uh, NerdWallet.com and Bankrate.com are great sites to learn about credit cards, rewards, and which ones match up with you. You can find me on Rob online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Don't be afraid of credit cards. Just don't carry a balance. That's my advice. Um, and there's some better ones out there for you on your spending. And there's some better ones out there for me and my spending. So there's not one size fits all. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Questions about Social Security? Check out the Social Security Retirement Guide at robblack.com. That's robblack.com, powered by EP Wealth. So a lot of what you can do to be successful as an investor is work with numbers. I don't want you to be a quant. There's a really good quant in Moran guy named Neil Hennessy where I don't think he knows any names of companies. That's a joke. He knows their balance sheets and he knows the numbers and then he knows the name of the company. He's one of the best investors I've ever met, and he's also one of the nicest men I've ever met. He helps other men, and I admire that. I think men should help men. I think women should help women. I think there's nothing wrong with it. Um, and then we all should help each other. But young boys need tutor, uh, mentors, as do young women. So I like data. I like numbers. And let me give you some quickies real quick. Um where was it that I saw this? It was in USA Today. It was just a headline that hit me. And I'm like, really? It was Hispanic ownership is becoming a driving force shaping the housing market's future. Now, everyone knows I'm Caucasian, really Caucasian, um, blonde hair. Well, not blonde hair, gray hair and blue eyes. But when I got into this home ownership by Hispanics becoming a driving force, driving force sounds pretty good if you're an investor. Between 2020 and 2024, 70% of new homeowners will be Hispanic in the United States. And the article, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but it said something fascinating to me. Um, and I think we all kind of have heard this. Hispanics are coming from other countries into the United States, and they bring a, a, a dream of owning a home and working hard. Now, that may be cliche, whether it's from El Salvador or Guatemala or Mexico. Um, can we lump them all together? Colombia. Home ownership is possible in the United States and it leads to what creating wealth. I get the dream there. There's a company called New American Funding. 33% of all purchase loans in 2021 went to minority borrowers compared to 28% for all other lenders. Purchase loans to black borrowers in 2021 was 60% higher than the industry average, while purchase loans to Hispanic borrowers was 30% higher. This is a small sample, um, but I like the trend. Is there an investment there? I don't see it yet. If there was a Home Depot that was completely catering to Latinos, I would be, that's a connection. I think Home Depot does a nice job of connecting with all customers. But you see where I'm going at with that. Um, getting educated about home ownership is important. If you've been renting for 10 years, I think that's five years too long. In your 20s, you're in no rush to own a home. In your 20s, you're in a rush to figure out your career. I liked renting in my 20s until I, I think I hit 25, 26, and I was like, time to buy. My career was stable enough that I knew I was going to be there three to five years. 
once I did that, I put down some roots and then I got the opportunity to move to California. I'm like, I'm gone. Sold that, came to California and I bought. Rented for a year to figure out what areas I liked the most. Um, didn't rush into it, took my time. But home ownership is a, a, a key part of my wealth just as much. Not no, 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 no. Stocks have been a bigger part, but it's an important part because paying yourself, it's nice. Educating yourself, it's nice. But every time I've taken out a loan, you know what? I've been stressed. I've been, I've had anxiety about it. Can I really afford this? What happens if I lose my job? What happens if there's an earthquake? What happens if I buy someone else's problems? And it was in recent years that I learned just from talking every day on radio, and this is very cathartic, and thank you. You've probably saved me a million dollars on psychotherapy. But I bought a home in my 20s, my 30s, my 40s, my 50s. If I were to go back in time in a Wayback Machine, which is a terrible, terrible idea, because I would go back in time in a Wayback Machine, and my Wayback Machine would break, and I'd be stuck there forever. No! But if I could, I would never have thought that I'd own four, five, six, seven homes in my lifetime. I've got a rental. I've had two rentals. Um, I have no shame in that. I also own real estate investment trusts for those times when I want to own real estate without actually owning a 30-year mortgage, which is a liability. That's where I want you to educate yourself on buying a home. You shouldn't put 50% of your money into the home. Somewhere between 25 and 28% is fine. Anything above that, you're starting to stretch yourself. And know that it's a liability. Know that if you lose your job, the bank's still going to want their money. Know that if you have a gambling problem, the bank's still going to want their money. Mortgage debt is good debt for most people because it's low cost. Now it's starting to get a little bit more like eh, rent versus buy, rent versus buy. But renters have to pay a lot more over their lifetime in expenses and taxes that owners don't. We get tax deductions. Renters don't. So one of my listeners through the years, she won't mind me saying her name because there's plenty of them in the world, Gabrielle. Um, she was a tech worker in the Bay Area 20 years ago, 25 years ago. She reached out to me and she really wanted a single family home and she really wanted to get married and settle down and have kids. I'm like, are you married right now? And she goes, nope. Okay. I'm like, get a condo, get a townhouse, get a starter home, invite the members of the opposite sex over and cook dinner and domesticate. And then later on, when you take the plunge and that you found the one move on, get married and make a baby and sell your starter home and get in a single family home. And she didn't really, really want to do that. Ultimately, she did listen to me. The townhome was not her dream home. Nope. But it was a good starter home that got her savings some equity and it went up enough in value that she was able to sell that and move that to a bigger home. I owned a home in my 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and I'll probably buy another home in my 60s, uh, a retirement home. You see where I'm going at with this? Um, and if I could go back in a way back machine, I would never have thought I would have had so many homes and done so well over time. The American dream is not over, not for people of color, not for Latinos, not for Caucasians. It just it, it, it takes time to build wealth. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show. 
YouTube, Rob Black Show. Visit the Rob Black Show online at robblackshow.com. Listen to archived podcasts, market updates, and information from EP Wealth's certified financial planners online at robblackshow.com. Welcome into EP Wealth's Informed Investor Market Update. I'm Rob Black, as usual, joined by Adam Phillips, CFA, CFP with EP Wealth. He's also the Director of Portfolio Strategy. Here we are talking about year-to-date performance. It's looking pretty good so far. First quarter's over. We're moving into spring. We're putting winter behind us, and the markets are warming up nicely. The NASDAQ up 17% year-to-date. A lot of that is Microsoft and Apple, so don't get fooled. S&P 500 up 7% year-to-date, and the Dow Jones Industrial Average up 40 basis points. That's four-tenths of 1%. 100 basis points equals 1%. Of note, the first quarter is the exact opposite of how last year played out. Growth is doing well in the first quarter. Value is underperforming. Last year was value outperforming and growth underperforming. We even had a banking crisis. It may not be over, but it seems contained for now. Adam, what are your thoughts on the first quarter performance year to date and what you're seeing in the current stock market? Yeah, well, look, lots of good information to unpack there. I, I think, first of all, it's really hard to complain about the first uh, first quarter numbers, right? Uh, you, you touched on the fact that NASDAQ up 17%, S&P 500 up 7%, and that comes after another 7% gain in the fourth quarter. So we've really seen this momentum continue in in light of everything that's going on around us, which I think is, is really impressive. But you, you also touched on a couple other things there. And if we look underneath the hood, I think it tells you a little bit of a different story where we have seen a shift in leadership here. You mentioned growth companies outperforming. And so if, if we just kind of dig in a little bit here, technology communications companies returned over 20% in the first quarter. And so I think what that tells you is that the average stock, meaning if you're not among those uh, the, those those lucky few, if you say happen to be in energy or financials, then chances are you didn't have the same positive experience in the first quarter. On an equal weighted basis, we've seen the S&P 500 return about 2% for the first quarter. And so that really um, helps to um, just put all these, all these companies on level ground when we know that companies like Apple and Microsoft are so big and they can dominate uh, the index. And so I think that that really uh, helps to kind of level set things here. So yes, it was a great quarter um, across the stock market. One other thing I would mention is, uh, as we look at the overall health of the market, is it's not just about those top line figures. You know, some of the other things that we are watching uh, are how other risk, uh, maybe risk, uh, risk free assets or those that are typically seen as safe haven assets are performing. And so, over the last six months, and uh, specifically since the market bottomed back in mid October, we've actually seen gold, a safe haven asset, outperform the S and P five hundred. And so that tells me I, I don't want to get too excited here. Uh, about performance. Yes, it's been great, but when I see some mixed messages here underneath the hood, then I, I don't necessarily want to want to get too excited and start celebrating just yet. One of the mixed messages that we're going to have to deal with is OPEC Plus decided to raise or cut out output by 1.1 million barrels a day. Some people think it's retribution against the Biden administration for releasing the strategic reserves and not refilling them quickly enough. 
Uh, nonetheless, we have an issue where we're going to be paying more at the pump. We're better off than we were a year ago as oil is $30 off its, uh, its recent uh, norm for last year, $90 to $60. But yet it's that curveball. I, I felt optimistic coming into this conversation with you today. And then Sunday hit and I see that OPEC news and I'm like, oh, got to deal with more inflation while we're trying yeah. to fight inflation. Yeah, well, look, baseball season is upon us. So, yeah, we got a curveball and we get curveballs from time to time, right? Look at the Silicon uh, Valley Bank uh, drama and everything that's really uh, played out since then. Um, now OPEC plus um, an- announcing these production cuts. And so I think this just tells you we're in a fluid environment. We're constantly getting new information. This keeps all of us on our toes. It keeps the Fed on its toes, right? When they're trying to manage policy and they're uh, they're likely in in the later stages here of their monetary tightening um, schedule, but I, I think this all tells them that okay, they don't necessarily want to ease up on rate hikes just yet. I think they they would like to keep going uh, because inflationary pressures remain high. This is likely to uh, create maybe. Uh, maybe a little bit more inflationary pressures. You mentioned higher prices at the pump, uh, at, at the pump, but at the same time, we do we are seeing these banking pressures, and so yeah, I mean, I, I think it just means that that we're in a very uncertain environment. We're going to continue to get this new information. We're going to continue to watch the data, see how the economy is digesting everything. But for now, uh, yeah, this this really wasn't um, wasn't too welcome of a of a development here. I could have done without it. And there was a welcome development this weekend, and this harkens back to when I was a younger man as a portfolio manager myself. Um, we showed up Monday morning, and there was a merger and acquisition being discussed. It may not happen, but I tend to like it. It's a solid hit when companies look at each other and see value in one another and they decide to buy each other. The WWE and the UFC are going to get together under Endeavor. It looks like it's not a done deal. This is important because it's a streamer, and they're trying to cut cost. It's kind of part of the big picture, but... Do you have any thoughts on mergers and acquisitions as part of putting the puzzle together on portfolios and um, the health of the stock market? I'd say that there's there's sign of there it's a sign of health when companies look at each other and, and find attractive valuations. Yeah, well, I, I think that's right, and and that's how I, I would view it as well. And it's funny, I didn't even know the WWE was still in existence. It, it had kind of fallen off my radar until just recently. My seven-year-old started watching it uh, again. And so he's been uh, he's been pulling it up on demand and I've been watching with him. And so, yeah, bringing back a lot of memories there. But just generally speaking, when it comes to M&A or mergers and acquisitions, uh, acquisitions activity, I think it is a, a general positive for the market. It means that there is appetite to go out and do deals. Someone is seeing uh, another uh, another firm, uh, a target company as uh, as attractive and, and looking to generate some kind of scale or synergies from that deal. And so I think it's all good. Uh, this is not... Um, the same as, as some of those other types of uh, deals that we see when a company is in distress and needs needs to be bailed out. So this is something where the two just feel, uh, I think that they would be better off uh, combined, right? And, and to join forces. And so I think generally speaking, this is a positive for the uh, for the market. And uh, and so we'll see if more, more comes of this. But uh, yeah, I, I generally react favorably to this type of news as well. And uh, just to put a little color on it, John Cena, Hulk Hogan, The Rock, Dave Bautista, 1982 is what I go back to thinking about it. And my kids too got into WWE for like one or two years of their life. So um, there's no endorsement there. There's nothing else to say. There's no more color to add, but um, 
it's interesting that you can invest in things like that, which I think is great to um, explain to children and teach mm-hmm. them a little bit about investing here and there. Let's teach the adults something here. Uh, pre-show, you and I talked about a couple of things that we should hit on. And you talked about stock market and the bond market not really working terribly well together. I was a little lost on that comment. What do you mean? Well, what I mean is that if, if you just let's just look at the bond market first, and it's obvious that that's telling us a, a, a negative story about the outlook for the U.S. economy. We've seen yields come down quite a bit uh, since, say, the beginning of March uh, across the Treasury curve, meaning those different um uh, different term lengths of, across the maturity curve, you're seeing yields come down, meaning prices go up. That is a reflection of investors moving into safe assets, just like they, they've been going into gold, as I mentioned. They're also going into treasury bonds. And that is, um, it's gotten to the point where it is implying a tough economic road ahead. And, and the prospects of a recession have increased here, especially in light of the, uh, the turmoil across the banking system. Now, we can also look at other areas within the bond market, uh, such is the the Fed funds futures market, which prices in expectations for uh, what investors think the Fed is going to do in in terms of the future of monetary policy. And so what what that is actually telling us is that the market is is suggesting it expects the Fed to cut rates twice before the end of the year. Now, that is different than the message the Fed is trying to give. They're saying that maybe they have another rate hike and they're going to wait and see what happens. But the the mar- market the bond market obviously doesn't believe them and so they're pricing in two rate cuts implying that the economic road is going to be so challenging ahead the fed will be left uh they, they won't have a decision uh, other than to cut rates and to, to uh, need to provide some type of support to the economy so not necessarily the brightest and most optimistic outlook there if you look at the on the stock side we, i mean we covered the performance there uh performance has been really really strong in light of everything going on around us and so to me i mean i've, I've heard the phrase uh, immaculate recession going around and <laughs> and what that refers to is the fact that if the bond market sees a recession many others think that recession risks uh have have increased here in recent weeks then how is the bond how's the stock market staying elevated? And and so are investors in the stock market actually saying that they don't expect earnings to take a hit? Um, if And to actually, we're going to somehow have a recession where, where uh, corporate profit growth uh, actually remains elevated and, and, and remains positive. And I just don't think that's too likely. It's one of the reasons that we are certainly happy to see the stock market uh, showing some signs of resilience here, but we're not necessarily buying into it just yet. Uh, we, we are, as we've talked about before, we're watching the outlook for earnings growth going forward. And although it's come down a little bit, it's still arguably too optimistic uh, considering the various headwinds that we're facing right now. One of those headwinds that we're talking about is the job market's incredibly healthy. Um, if you want a job, there's a job for you. There's a lot of job openings. And yet today I saw some news. McDonald's is probably going to do some layoffs later in the day. Um, on top of that, Disney's announced some layoffs. Are those enough to get you excited? Because labor is the biggest cost of doing business. And I'm not just saying getting excited. That's socially the wrong term. Is that enough to help the stocks kind of hold support by cutting costs? Or again, do you think it's just not going to be enough and we're odds are recession and odds are um, earnings cuts? Um, I know they're not, that's just two examples of job cuts and minus tech. I'm not seeing a lot of job cuts, but McDonald's and Disney did hit my radar today. 
Yeah, and you, and you are starting to see some uh, some additional companies announce, and, and so I think it's a trend that bears watching, and it tells you that a lot of companies are focused on the bottom line right now, yeah. and they're making tough decisions. And so uh, I, I think it does suggest that many are coming to grips with reality. We'll start to see as as the first quarter earnings season gets underway, I think we'll start to see what types of changes we see in projections for for profit growth going forward. Um, if as investors start to hear from management, um, do they start to get that, that um, uh, an, I, I guess, um, maybe a reality starts to bite for them, right? And they start to say, okay, maybe this is actually worse than, than I thought it was. Let's reduce our expectations going forward. So I think that all remains to be seen. We do have that jobs number coming out this week. It's the first uh, first Friday of the new month. Uh, and so it's it's uh, always chock full of good information. Uh, tomorrow we'll get the JOLT survey. So that's the job openings and labor turnover survey. Uh, and that's likely to show still over 10 million jobs available, uh, job openings in, in the U.S. Uh, on Friday. That's the big one. Um, and so it's good Friday. So you might not see too much of a reaction there in the market. Um, but we're still getting that uh, the jobs data and likely to show I think expectations are somewhere around 250,000 net new jobs added in the month of March. And so it tells you that the job market is still uh, arguably too strong for the Fed's liking. I think what's what's good and one of the things that, that we'll hope to to see more of in Friday's report uh, is some additional um, uh, pressure coming off on the wages front. We've seen average hourly earnings start to come down uh, towards more reasonable levels. It's not quite uh, at what I would say is a healthy level just yet, but it, it shows that those signs of inflationary pressures there are easing as well. And so that's certainly a welcome development for the Fed. Um, you know, it's interesting. One other area, um, and then I'll, I'll take a break here and, and lay off the economic data. But one other thing that we're watching very, very closely, and it's important because it's timely, we get this, this figure every week, uh, and it's the initial jobless claims figure. And so even though we've heard a lot of companies announce these layoffs, we're not seeing it show up in the data every Thursday that comes out that tells you how many people are filing for first-time unemployment benefits. That is still historically very, very low. And so I think that tells you, even though you're starting to hear a lot of these companies uh, make these announcements, uh, it's not necessarily factoring into the data just yet. The jobs market is still extremely tight. Let me give you a quick antidote about the jobs market right now. Uh, there was an article in USA Today today in the money section, not the best source of financial information, but they talked about Americans going from California to Mexico to get health services for their dogs. Um, maybe a $2,000 teeth cleaning is $300 in Mexico, just right across the border. Um, and if you read the article, it had a lot of financial information in it saying that Americans, the job market's so tight here that vet clinics can't hire enough work. And when they do, they have to pay them more money. And then the dynamic part about the story, in my opinion, and this is what I love about what you and I get to do for a living, and you get to do it on a much higher level than me. But Americans are like, no, we're not going to wait months to get my dog's teeth clean. We're going to go to Mexico and do it this way right now. May not be the best decision for your dog, but it shows you how dynamic things can be and how you have to be patient with financial data. Um, sure. Any comment on getting your dog's teeth clean for $2,000 in the US or $300 uh, in Mexico? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, you know, you're, you're actually, when you were talking, I was kind of thinking, geez, when, when was the last time we had our dog's teeth clean? So now that's really all I can think about. But, um, but I think that that's right. I, I mean, there's, there's obviously um, a lack of available labor, uh, labor across many industries right now. I mean, we hear a lot of uh, 
a lot of close friends went to uh, they traveled for spring break just recently and uh and and so i i got to hear updates from them and they said yeah you know we go to places like like hawaii and it's still uh really you could still tell that there's not a lot of workers there and so you just have to be patient and and so i i think i, I think we're all just still uh, still adjusting to this uh this labor shortage and so hoping that the supply and demand come back into balance uh very soon i just like that real life antidote per se. Um, let me remind everyone that we have just finished the quarter, which means you and I will be doing a quarterly webinar review um, coming up in a couple of weeks. Look for that in your emails and any questions that you have, do pass them on to your financial team. Any last thoughts before I wrap this up, Adam? No, I, th- I think we've done a, a pretty pretty good recap here, but looking forward to catching up with you next week. As I said, we'll have plenty of data to kind of go through and uh, look forward to sharing that with everyone. Sorry, I went a little goofy on you with WWE and health health costs so for animals it keeps but me on my toes that's all right this was fun this is not a scripted interview thanks very much it's adam phillips he is a cfa cfp with ep wealth director of portfolio strategy i'm rob black for ep wealth's informed investor market update good day this interview featured on the rob black show is brought to you by ep wealth learn more at robblack.com i swore i would never become my father and i've become my father in the evenings, I watch news. When I'm driving, I listen to stock market news. Sometimes I listen to real music. But sometimes if I'm by myself and I don't need to feel happy, I'm already content. But even more importantly, I watch the weather now. And <laughs> you're saying, no. One of my favorite apps now, believe it or not, is the Apple Weather app. Now, how am I, how am I saying the Apple Weather app is all that in a bucket of chicken? It, it it's what Apple does well. They take what other people do and they make it slightly better. Where I live, there's a lot of rain. I don't care the temperature. I care about the moisture. So I'm able to use the only app that I can find that tells me when it's going to start raining and when it's going to stop raining as potentially a need for me. Let's bring in Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com. Mr. O'Hare and I have been talking on air it's going to be 25 years before it's all said and done. I'm going to send you like a gold watch when we're finished, Mr. O'Hare. But I'm not going to say you've never been wrong. I'm going to say you've built a constructive case all those years. And I, I appreciate it. And I, I always look forward to Wednesday. How are you doing today? Hey, Rob, I'm doing well. Thanks, despite uh, the rain here in Chicago. But I know you can relate to that. I almost booked a uh, spring vacation to uh, Chicago for my family. And then I was like, nope, San Diego, because I was looking for the, the sun and not the rain. But that's Good not your talk. concern. Spring doesn't start in Chicago until July. So, <laughs> well, then I'll, I'll book a trip out this, then into, uh, I'll come this summer to Chicago. And maybe I can buy you lunch. Anyhow, let's move. <laughs> It really would be. Um, you're a, a, a source of information. And a lot of my listeners, when I meet them face to face and a lot of the viewers, uh, they always talk about how well you do. And our relationship sounds like we're actually friends. And that means a lot to me. But let's talk about this week. This is a big week. We're getting um, jobs numbers. We're getting um, Trump. We're getting it, it feels like it's more than it is. How do you feel the week is going and, and where are we in the stock market? Because we had four or five days in a row of winning, winning. And then we kind of ran out of gas. 
Yeah, uh, and, you know, this week is uh, so far strikes me as really a week of consolidation. You know, we've had okay. uh, we did have that really big run off the uh, mid March lows. Um, I think we're up close to seven percent in the S P five hundred since March thirteenth, coming into the week, and that's despite a banking crisis, right? So we kind of had a, it appears to have had somewhat of that Pavlovian effect of where you know the Fed came in to the rescue, so to speak. Uh, it changed the calculus in terms of the market's outlook for rate hikes and where the Fed's terminal rate is going to settle and, and when the Fed might actually pivot. And therefore, you saw stocks react in a very positive way. Uh, but somewhat of a transition this week uh, in that we're seeing this sort of uh, uh, trepidation to, you know, commit aggressively further here on the long side of things. Uh, in the wake of some weakening economic data. And you've seen stocks kind of uh, languish this week despite market rates coming down uh, in the wake of that weak data. And that's something to keep our eye out for because we do think it reflects uh, a knowingness that the market is uh, probably trading at a premium valuation when it should not be, and also a knowingness that if the data continues to come in weak, as Briefing.com thinks it will, uh, that earnings estimates for 2023 are going to have to be marked down further. And so you're not getting that chasing action up here right now, and instead you're just getting more of uh, some pullback activity. Is there anything that you're looking for in the stock market to say things are normal? Are they never going to be normal? Is there anything that you're watching that, that concerns you? Well, something that has concerned me for most of this year, and I think I've, I've, you know, I've mentioned to you, too, mm-hmm. and on, on the show, is, is really where earnings estimates are. Um, that's what I'm watching. Um, and, you know, we have an, um, an earnings reporting period upcoming here. Uh, we're going to get uh, the banks kicking things off next Friday. Uh, and then we'll get into the flow of things as we typically do. Uh, and it's going to be a really important earnings reporting season. Not that they aren't all important, right. but uh, we are going to get a little bit more flavor now in terms of what companies are seeing develop for this year. Uh, likely to hear probably some more cost-cutting actions that involve uh, you know more layoff announcements. And uh, and we think we'll we'll hear more guarded outlooks as it relates to uh, to the earnings um, to earnings prospects, and that can kind of slow the market's momentum here. Um, now, if we're wrong, and you you hear some pretty bright earnings guidance, well then you know the market could have a platform then to uh, to keep this uh, rally effort going, um, and you'll see that kind of couched in terms of feeling good about the economy maybe being on course for a soft landing and the Fed not and the Fed still kind of uh, not you know not going as high as uh, with its interest rates as previously thought and that can be kind of the foundation for a rally effort but that would be uh, that's not our base case we think that the market will probably more or less hear some tepid sounding earnings guidance at best and uh, and kind of uh, you know slow down as a result of that. We just finished up the first quarter. I think I'm pretty close to these numbers. NASDAQ was up 14%. The S&P 500 up 7%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up less than 1%. I'm pretty sure those are pretty close, if not close enough. Um, That's a pretty big year for most 
growth stocks, the NASDAQ and the S&P 500, whereas the Dow is underperforming. Do you think we may be in a situation if you have new money, you should be looking at value or are you still sticking with the stay with the long term approach where you're spread in between growth and value? Is there one area that you think might be better than others is what I guess I'm what I'm asking for. Sure. Um, well, I'd add, if I could, real quickly, Rob, as sure. far as, you know, the you know, NASDAQ was up massively, as we saw. Uh, the S&P 500, the market cap weight index was up about 7%, but the uh, S&P equal weight ETF, that was only up about, uh, you know, 1.5%. So you can see the, that kind of that disproportionate influence of those mega cap stocks on the broader market. But, you know, that said, uh, to answer your question, since we think there's going to be a, a sharp economic slowdown in coming months and that earnings estimates uh, and earnings growth rates are going to, you know, be challenged, uh, we would lean more in favor of growth stocks in that type of environment. Okay. Um, but you do have to probably have a mix in there of some of those counter cyclical sectors to sort of provide some stability there. And those would be the areas like healthcare consumer staples, um, utilities, names like that, that uh, have um, lower betas and, and um, you know, are likely not to be as volatile uh, in a more challenging economic climate. I'm not sure how to say this, but are there sectors that you don't really want to be in that you force yourself into? For instance, um, I know that healthcare makes up 20% of the U.S. economy, roughly, it's not 20% of my portfolio. I know that utilities are considered safer in recessionary type environments. I definitely don't have enough utilities. Are there any areas that you kind of just skip? Like, And you can even say things like artificial intelligence. Are there areas that you go, nope, I know nothing about that. I'm going to stay totally away. Or areas that we just don't like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, there's I would you know can admit there's lots of areas I don't know uh, enough about, and uh, AI would be one of those in particular. It's uh, obviously a, a kind of a new uh, uh, technology, you know, coming to the fore now, and uh, probably behooves me as well as others to learn more about it. But I guess this is general thumb. It kind of is you know silly to just throw money at something you don't understand. Um, so it behooves us all to kind of. You know, do our research, uh, learn more about any sector you're willing to, you're wanting to invest in anyway. And uh, but you know, generally as a market analyst, I think as as you you know look at the S P 500 and the understanding that it's very challenging for most money managers to outperform that index. You do need to have broad exposure to it. And while some sectors might be overvalued at times, others undervalued at times, uh, you you know you have to have a, a, a you have to have exposure to all those sectors so that you can, you know, mitigate the the volatility uh, and also participate in the you know up markets when they come. Um, so just a matter of knowing, I think, having a sense of when to overweight certain sectors and when to underweight others. But uh, but I would encourage you know broad exposure uh, so that you're not left out of any you know market advances which are certain to come. I mean that's. What history has shown us, it has paid to be a long-term investor, and it is also uh, history has also shown us that it's very difficult for most money managers, if not all money managers, to outperform the market over long periods of time. Is there anything that you're working on? We've got about a minute. Is there anything that you're working on that you want to highlight or point out? You have a big picture coming up on Friday, as you typically do. Right. Um, actually, I'll be posting that big picture earlier this week. Oh, that's um, right. Um, 
yeah, so the market's closed on Friday, um, and uh, I'm actually going to be uh, out of town here in the next day or so. So I'll be working on a on that first quarter earnings uh, outlook piece for the big picture. So a little bit more flavor around maybe what we can expect and uh, what Briefing.com is looking for during that reporting period uh, that gets going next week. I look forward to that one in large part. I do a I host a webinar for a company where I have to kind of know what's going on in the first quarter as they do their quarterly updates. So have a good holiday break and we'll talk next week. Are you back next week? Uh, I am. So I appreciate that, Rob. And I'll look forward to speaking with you again. Thanks very much. And good day and good trading. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. He is with briefing.com. He is Patrick O'Hare. I literally want to fly out to Chicago this summer if I can find the time, and I should be able to find the time. I've known him for too long without sitting down and having lunch with him, and I definitely owe him one or two. I know he's helped the listeners. I know Briefing.com is a wonderful service I've used for 20-plus years, domestic and international news that you could use when it comes to the financial aspects in your life. You can find them at briefing.com. I'm Rob Black. What's the best way to choose a financial advisor? Download our guide at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Powered by EP Wealth. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.